you got your Bibles, open up with me to John chapter 8. I want to just jump into this this morning. I hope you're doing good. John chapter 8, starting in verse 1. I love this passage. It says this, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple, and a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. So no doubt these men have brought this woman in front of Jesus to accuse her, but the Bible says they're also trying to accuse Jesus. They're seeing if Jesus would say something against the law so that they could accuse him too. These, these are accusers that are standing before him right now. And it says, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. So Jesus is officially ignoring them right now. I love that verse. Verse 7. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, the guys catch this, what a powerful statement that comes from our Savior. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. So now this woman's exercising faith in Jesus. She just called Jesus Lord. No, Lord, she said. And Jesus, no doubt with a smile, looked at her and said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Isn't that a good story? Come on, if you got the light that leads to life, let's give our God a praise this morning. Man, Jesus is good. I want to look at one more verse before we jump into this today. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says this. It says, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Did you catch that? John just gave us the reason for, for why he wrote this book. He's saying, guys, you got to catch it. Don't miss this. When you're reading this letter that I'm sending to you, the believers in Jesus Christ, you need to understand the whole purpose I'm writing this to you is that you will not sin. Would you agree that sin is bad? There's a whole collective of 12 people in here that agree sin is bad. Would you agree that sin is bad? Here, I need some coffee this morning. What is sin? The biblical definition of sin is missing the mark, right? And the mark's not set by your mama. The mark's set by God. It, the, see, it's God who differentiates between right and wrong, what's good and bad. He differentiates whether or not you and I have missed the mark. And the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every one of us have sinned. Every one of us have made mistakes. We've, we've failed. We've missed the mark. And and we know that sin causes all sorts of trouble. Sin is the reason for calamity. It's the reason for disease. It's the reason for sickness. It's the reason for pain and tragedy. And sin doesn't just affect you and your relationship with God. It does that, but it doesn't just do that. It also affects you and your relationship with other people. 
Sin hurts how you get along with your family members, how you get along with your coworkers, how you get along with your neighbors. Sin has all sorts of problems that come along with it. So you, wouldn't you agree that it would be better if we all sinned less? You know, you don't even have to be a Jesus follower to recognize, you know, if we all just stopped doing bad stuff, our lives would be a lot better. But we as human beings, we have a problem with sin. We keep sinning. We keep making mistakes. We keep going through the same stuff over and over again. And John is saying in the book of 1 John chapter 6, he's going, don't miss this. This is the whole reason I'm writing this book is so that you will not sin. Okay? This is going to help you stop sinning. So it... I don't know about you, but for me, I think what he's about to say next is incredibly important. I don't want to miss this. So he said, this is how you're going to stop sinning. In verse 2, he says, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Wait a minute, that, that's not what I was expecting him to say. I, th- I thought the way you got someone to stop sinning is by telling them their consequences. And by saying, because you messed up your life, you're going to pay for it. I thought the way you stopped sinning is by telling them, if, since you keep messing up, you're going to go to hell. You might have tried that on your kids. It doesn't necessarily work. But John is saying, no, it, it's not by tying, telling someone how their sin is going to cause them consequences that gets them to stop sinning. He, he's saying there's something different here. You need to understand that, that what's going to keep you from doing wrong is to recognize that Jesus is our advocate. That even if you do sin, Jesus is an advocate for you to the Father. Verse 2 says, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. So it's not that Jesus just died and paid the price for your sins, but he paid the price for all of our sins, for our city, for, for our state, for our country, for the entire world. We think, well, there's some bad people in the world. There's some people that are messed up, and the Bible says that Jesus paid the price for them too. And it's by recognizing that, that Jesus paid the price of saying this is what's going to keep you from, from not sinning anymore. Is when, when you recognize that Jesus paid the price for your sins and he pleads your case to the Father. See, the only reason he can be our advocate is because of this word sacrifice. That Jesus paid the price for our sins because the Bible already established that we've all sinned, we've all messed up, we've We've fallen short, we've missed the mark, and because of that, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. That because you've messed up, God says you deserve to die. But there's something else that can happen. There's another way we can fix this sin problem. We see the Bible says that if there was a person, if we could find a person, it has to be a person who's never sinned, then that person could pay the price for someone who has sinned. And that is completely and entirely who Jesus Christ is. That since you've sinned and you've messed up and Jesus has never sinned, that he was able to take on your pain, your shame, all of your guilt, take it to the cross and pay the price for your sins. So so the Bible's telling us that what is going to keep us from sinning is recognizing that, that Jesus died For you, and since he paid the price for you, he now stands before the Father and pleads your case to the Father and says, I got it covered. So when God looks at you and says, uh, and he rightfully looks at you and says, but I see sin in your life, Jesus says, yeah, but I got her covered. Yeah, but I got him covered. 
See, this is the good news. It, we don't stop sinning by telling someone, you know what, you're, you got to stop sinning because there's going to be consequences. You're going to wreck your life. You're going to go to hell. That's not what stops people from sinning. In fact, that's what stops people from going to church. You know? Because it's the good news. And I think we get that mixed up sometimes that it's the good news that Jesus paid the price for your sins and he pleads your case. And the Bible says that that's what is going to help you in your life. That's what's going to give you the desire and the passion and the fortitude to go through a life that's pleasing to God is to recognize that, you know what, Jesus paid the price for my sins and he now stands in heaven talking to God the Father on my behalf, saying, I love this child. He puts his trust in me. She puts her trust in me. I got them covered. Today, I want to talk to you from the subject, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? In fact, to start this off, why don't you turn to the person look, uh, next to you, look them right in the eye and ask them, where are your accusers? Now, if you're sitting next to your spouse and they look at you like, just look right back forward, you know. <laughs> Just plead the blood of Jesus over them right now, right? Where are your accusers? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just pray right now that in this room, in this time right now, that Jesus, we would see you more. God, I pray right now that you would get me out of the way, that I wouldn't say or do anything that would be a distraction to your word, but instead, I pray that you would use me as a vessel, and I pray that as we get into your word, we would recognize your love and your grace and your mercy, and that you would help us today, Father. Help us so when we leave here, we would resemble you more. Help us to understand you more, and it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So in this story we see in John chapter 8, Jesus asks a very probing woman to this uh, question to this woman. This woman that's been brought up to him and said, they said, look, she's, she's a cheater. She's an adulterer. We found her sleeping with someone that's not her husband. This was a married man. There's a problem here. And he, he asked this question to her at the end of John chapter 8. Where are your accusers? I love John chapter 8. I, I, I love reading it. I love it, John chapter 8 is like candy to a preacher, because anyone can preach John chapter 8. I mean, this story, it, it, it's got so many points about God's love. In fact, if you can't preach John chapter 8, you just can't preach, you know? And, and I love this story, and as I was looking over it again and reading about it and praying about it this week, this question kept popping up in my head, where are your accusers? And I began praying, I, I began asking God, God, not in our church, where are your accusers? Well, well, not in fellowship church. And I began declaring that over our church and hoping and praying that that would be the culture of who we are here at Fellowship Church. And say, wait a minute, Grand Junction, where are your accusers? They're not in fellowship church. Well, and then standing up as a father and saying, well, where are your accusers? Not in my house. Not on my street, not on my neighborhood. So where are you? Not here, not in fellowship church. And if we could get behind this and say, yeah, that's a great idea. That's how I want to live my life. Absolutely. We are not going to be a church full of accusers. Absolutely not. We're not going to stand up for it. We're not going to put up with it. But how easy is it to let the attitude of an accuser wiggle its way in? I mean, don't we all do that at times? I've seen it in my own life. I mean, am I the only one that has heard a sermon and, and, and immediately I begin applying the sermon to someone else? <laughs> Is that just me? Like, man, I wish Sarah was here. She needed to hear that. 
Like you go home, you get it up off the internet, and you start, you send an email to her, and you type it in Sarah. You were on my heart today, and I heard this message, and I was thinking, you know, that if Jesus loves you, and if you just listen to this, it's going to help you, and I'm just praying for you. Translation is, Sarah, you're a wreck, right? You're so messed up, hopefully this could talk some sense into your sick head, because you're about to wreck your life from Dan, right? <laughs> Am I the only person? That does this? I, I, am I the only person that sees someone else's faults and, and kind of gains a little self-confidence because I see someone else's failing? It's like, thank God I'm not like that freak. <laughs> you know, I got my problems, but they got their problems. So thank you, Jesus. I mean, come on, let's be honest. Am, am I the only one? Isn't it funny how we disguise it to be so spiritual? So spiritual one. We come up with all these accusations. We say things like, you know what, I, I heard something. I think we just need to pray. You know, we just, I, I, do, do you hear about Teresa? We need to pray for her because her husband did this and that, and I think she's just pushing her husband away, and we need to pray. And no one's praying. We're just talking about it, right? We're getting, picking up hands full of rocks. And we say, well, I don't, I don't want to let on to who this is. We'll just say it, it, it sounds like Rem Toesbury, but, man, that guy has got some problems. So would you pray with me? And before you know it, you're standing there. We're not praying. We're, not, we're just standing there with hands full of rocks, accusing people, looking look, look down at people. And see, the thing is, people don't put out these huge magnanimous like, accusations like, I stand before God in heaven and I accuse you, my brother, before Jesus Christ Almighty and everything that is good and holy that you are wrong. Nobody does that. I mean, maybe a couple weirdos on the street do that, you know? But we do it different. It's really, it's more of a heart thing. It's an attitude thing. You know what's interesting about John 8? It, it can be a little confusing because we look at John 8, and when, when the Bible says that the scribes and the Pharisees brought this woman to Jesus and, and said, we caught her in the act of adultery, and the, and, the, and the law says that we should stone her. They were right. Do you think about that for a minute? Because maybe you've heard this story before and we think, well, this woman's the victim. Can you believe those people are being so judgmental? How horrible that is and stuff like that. But according to the law, they caught her in adultery. They were supposed to stone her. So they were so right when they came and said, Jesus, we need to kill this woman because she's a cheater. And Have you ever been so right and yet so wrong? Because that's where these Pharisees were. They were right. They, they, they quoted the law perfectly. They had it memorized. They had it memorized from being young men. They studied the scriptures. They knew the law that God had given Moses. They, they passed down the Levitical law to their kids. They knew this stuff. Word for word, they come to Jesus and said, Jesus, what she's doing, sin, it's wrong, it's disgusting, it's filthy, and we need to stone her. And they were right. But they were so wrong. You ever met a Christian like that? So right, yet so wrong. Have you ever been a Christian like that? Because I mean, it's easy to, to look at something and go, well, we're right though. That sin, it's wrong. I don't like it. It's destroying our nation. It's destroying my family. It's destroying my neighborhood. It's wrong. And you're right. But yet we can be so wrong. 
Is what's the heart and the attitude behind this? I mean, where, where are we coming from? Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, that's exactly where you and I are. I think as we stand here with rocks in our hands and we look at the world around us or look at even those people that are sitting next to us in this room and we start to see problems and, the, and, and look, they're, they're wrong here. They shouldn't be doing this. It's sin. It's wrong. And, and we're right, but we're wrong. By the grace of God that he's forgiven us, that he has moved us forward. And I think before we move any farther into this service and say, you know what, what, this is a cute message. It's a cute message on the fact that, yeah, we shouldn't be judgmental. We shouldn't, we shouldn't judge other people and point the finger at other people. We should look at ourselves. I think we just need to take a moment and pause for a second and say, you know what? If I were to be honest, I probably have a couple rocks in my hand right now. I probably have someone or some group or something that I look at and I say that's so wrong and it needs to be stopped and, and God shows us that you're right but, but maybe there's an attitude that needs to change. Maybe there's a heart that needs to change. Maybe there's a spirit that needs to change in this because cause we're going we're gonna to call sin what it is. Sin is sin and it's painful and it's wrong and it hurts people and it destroys life and it separates people from God. Sin is wrong but what Jesus shows us in this scripture is different than how so many of us go around in the position of the accuser. Because in this story, as we look at Jesus in John chapter 8, we see that Jesus stands as an advocate. And, and there's two different people in the story. There's accuser, which someone, an accuser by definition, either biblical or, or just in the English language. We look at his accuser as someone who charges someone with offense. You did something wrong, and I'm calling it to attention so that there can be penalty for this. So it's accusing is charging someone of an offense, where an advocate is something different. An advocate, who we see Jesus is called an advocate in 1 John chapter 2, is an intercessor. Someone who prays for you, a consoler, a confronter, a defender. And we see that in this story, Jesus didn't stand as an accuser against this woman. He, he stood as an advocate. And I think the, the first thing that I would challenge all of us to do today is to recognize that if this is the type of love that God has for you and I and he has for the world, this is the type of love we're supposed to have for the world too, that we should be advocates in this church. We shouldn't be a church of people that, that are accusers. What we should say, where are your accusers? They're not here. We're advocates. We're going to be people who pray for you and console you and hold on to you and help you just like we saw Jesus do in this story. See, first off, as we look in this story, I want to pause again for a moment and let's take a look at this woman. Because this woman that Jesus goes to bat for is a bad woman. It's real easy to look at her and say, well, she's the victim, she's, she's going through a, a difficult time, people are accusing her. No, let's, let's call it what it is here. In this story, she, she's a homewrecker. She's sleeping with a married man. She's destroying uh, the life of a woman, the life of children. She's destroying her own life, and she doesn't even care. This isn't like a modern-day prostitute or a modern-day porn star. This is someone going through some nasty stuff and doesn't even care. So this person that Jesus goes to bat for is someone that had some problems. And then we see the Pharisees bring her up and they say, we caught her in adultery. In fact, it actually brags. They said, we caught her in the very act. Now when I read that, I think, man, 
Someone should have raised their hand at this moment. And Jesus is like, yeah, I, I see your hand in the back. What, what's up? Uh, uh, yeah, excuse me, Jesus. That's weird. What do you mean they caught her in the very act? Were they, were they watching her? Like, did they have some GPS on all desperate housewives or something like that? And they know, like, how, how did they find her? How, excuse me, that's weird. So you, we wonder, wait a minute. Who's got more of a problem, more of a sexual problem here? Is that the woman doing the deed or the men who are watching her do the deed and then pull her off in the middle of the deed to go accuse her? Isn't that weird how religion can get you in a place where, where you start getting legalistic and, and you start seeing, stop seeing how weird your own problems are and start looking at the other problems of other people? They're, they're condemning this woman, but by pointing the finger and condemning them, condemning her for her sexual problems, they're condemning themselves. They're the, and how did they even know where she was? How did they know where to find her? I'll tell you how they knew how to find her. They, they knew the guy. Wait a minute, where's the guy? <laughs> Why isn't he being brought up and accused in this story? Well, I, I'll tell you where the guy is. The guy probably slipped his robe back on and slid in with the guys. I'm like, yeah, we've we got to do something about this lady right here. Okay. Isn't that weird? Isn't it sick? I was like, well, I'll look past my own sin. I'll look past my own problem. But look at their problem. It's, it's sick. It's wrong. It's disgusting. Someone just said, wait a minute, that, that's weird. And we look at this, and I, I just have three points today, and, and they'll be real quick. But, but notice what Jesus does. Is, as, as first off, they bring this woman in this very awkward situation. They bring her and accuse her. And, and, and notice that Jesus says nothing, but in fact what he does, he gives them the silent treatment. Number one. This shows us that the spirit of an advocate is slow to speak. The spirit of an advocate is slow to speak. This is, this is not talking off and popping off the first thoughts that come in your head. Well, I don't like this person. I don't like the lyrics of her song, and I don't like what they do over here. And because they voted this way, it's like with the multitude of words, you begin to say really stupid things. Things that you wish you could bring back. But we see that, that Jesus doesn't have loose lips. He he, he seals his lips and he bends down and he starts writing in the dirt and silently there we see that Jesus is slow to speak. Guys, I pray that in this church we would be slow to speak. I, I pray that we would be the type of people who, who we pray more and we speak less. That we don't just speak what we think, our own opinions without first praying, without first caring about what does God have to say in this. And that's what I love about some of the pastors, oh, all the pastors on our church here. I, I love the attitude of the fact that people come here all the time with problems that it's over our head. We don't know what to do with it. And we're not going to say we know what to do with it. What we're going to do is we're going to say, I tell you what, let me, let me pray for you. Because I don't know how to fix your situation. I don't know how to fix your marriage or your problem. But what I can do is I can bring you right to the one who can. Guys, I pray that we would be a group of people that stop just spouting out our opinions and start praying for people more. Isn't it funny how we all have opinions? I mean, we say our opinions on Facebook. We, we say it loudly. We wear the shirts. We put the flags up. We put the bumper stickers on our car so people know our opinions. In fact, I saw a bumper sticker the other day. All it said on it was opinions. <laughs> Isn't that right? 
We don't even care what the opinion is, but we're going to put it up on our, on our bumper because we want people to know what we think. And, and haven't you noticed that the more you fall in love with Jesus, the, the more you recognize what he's done for you in your life, that your opinions just really don't matter? That's something personally I, I, I'm, I'm dealing with right now. Personally, I'm recognizing this. I've got a lot of things to say, but the closer I get to Jesus, the, the, the more I get in his presence, the more I recognize those opinions of mine, they don't even matter. They're just my opinions. See, the Bible tells us in Colossians, when it, when it comes to us speaking to one another, Colossians 4 verse 6 says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. So we should be slow to speak, but then when we do speak, our words should be full of grace, seasoned with just a little pinch of salt. Now, I can tell you, I think there's a lot of times we get that exactly the opposite. Where it's full of salt. We're talking and we got a lot to say, and there's a lot of truth in it. And we're saying, well, you're a sin, and that's a problem, and you're wrong, and that's going to wreck your life. It's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to destroy you. Your kids are probably going to end up doing that same stuff too. But Jesus will probably forgive you if you ask him to forgive you. It's like a lot of truth there, just itty bitty dab of grace. That's, that's not the way to talk to people. That's not the way I love you. That's not the way I show you love. It, it, in fact, our speech should be different. It should be Jesus loves you so much. He's your advocate. He stands before God and pleads for you in, in, in the presence of God the Father. He loves you and he wants you to live a life that's pleasing to him so that you could be fulfilled. So, so he wants to get you away from your sin patterns in life so you can know what fulfillment is. Truth, 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 grace, 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 seasoned with a little bit of salt. I wonder, could we be the type of people that take this example from Jesus and start acting as advocates and become a little slower to speak? A little less on the opinions, a little more on praying. So Jesus is an advocate, is slow to speak, number two. The second point is we see the spirit of an advocate is a great leveler. It's a leveler. Jesus is a great leveler. Even the physical posture of Jesus in this story, he gets down in the dirt. You, you can contrast here, and you can see the attitude of the accuser, and you can see the attitude of the advocate here by the posture, because you've got a bunch of Pharisees and, and, and scribes who are standing there, and they're standing up tall, haughty and proud, self-righteous, and pointing their fingers while Jesus all along is, he's getting down in the dirt with people. He said, I'm not going to stand and accuse you. I'm going to get down, and I'm going to get where it's dirty, and I'm going to get where it's ugly and stand on here. I'll tell you guys, we, we need less Christians who are standing up self-righteously and pointing the fingers at one another, and we need more Christians who will get down into the dirt and get down into the messes of life and say, you know what, that, that's an ugly situation and it's painful, but I'm going to get right down there in the middle of it. When Jesus is there, he begins leveling the situation out. And he stands up and he says, okay, okay, you're right, you, you should. You, you were right in judging the law that she sinned and she deserves to die. So, this is what I want you to do. Any one of you that haven't sinned, you then can throw the first stone. Go ahead, murder, you can do it, you're right. And what he does is he's leveling the playing field and goes, wait a minute, you think you're up at this level and she's down here, but I'm going to prove to you real quick that you have sin too. So excuse me, pastor, 
Excuse me, rabbi. Excuse me, teacher. You have sinned too. You're no different than her. One, one after another, they, they stood there with the rocks in their hands and realized, yeah, she's wrong, but I'm wrong too. And they began dropping the rocks and walking away. Isn't it interesting that accusers, we, we as accusers sometimes will get an attitude of, of like judging levels of sin. Like this person's sin is somehow worse than my sin. or It's like, think about it. We do it in a very practical way. We do it with actors and actresses. And we do it on social media when it comes to musicians and stuff like that. We might look at a person who, he only plays in, in PG movies. And he plays in R movies. So this, that guy's like worse than this guy. Or have you heard her lyrics? Those are awful lyrics. And so, so she's, she's more of a sinner than this person who sings lyrics that aren't quite as bad. And it's like we've got all these different levels. That this person's mistake is worse than this person's mistake. So they've got to be worse than where the Bible says, no, no, no. There's lost and there's found. You either have sin and you're not forgiven or, or you've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. That's the only, the only categories that God puts into place here. So he levels it out and says, there's no levels of whether you're a horrible sinner or a good sinner. There's none of that stuff. He goes, you're either lost and you don't have a relationship with Jesus or you do. And if you do, then Jesus paid your price and he stands before the Father right now saying, I got this guy covered over here. Jesus, the advocate, is a great leveler. And I hope and I pray that as, our, as a church of advocates, not accusers, we could get down in the dirt with people. We can get where it's ugly. And that brings us to the third point is we see that Jesus, as an advocate, was slow to speak. The spirit of advocate is a leveler. But the third point is the spirit of advocate is not afraid of guilt by association. He's not afraid of guilt by association because, you know, Jesus wasn't worried about guilt by association, and you knew, he knew people were talking about them. Look, Jesus is down there talking to that prostitute. Can you believe that? She, she was just caught cheating. He's down there in the dirt talking to her. He wasn't afraid of any of that. He, he, he's saying, you know what? I'm not going to get dirty by being next to this person's problems. And I think we get that into us sometimes. We think, I don't want their sin, their mistakes to get me dirty. Well, excuse me. But by the grace of God, we are filthy. We are filthy and disgusting with all of our sin. And only by the grace of God has he washed us clean. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 17, he's praying to the Father and he's saying, God, just as you put me in the world, uh, I'm sending them into the world. And then he prays in verse 15, he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. He said, I don't want you to get them out of the dirty situations, not to get them out of the ugly. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. He prays that, that you would stay in the dirty, messy, ugly situations. That when that coworker whose life just seems so messed up and they got drama and they got this problem and that problem, he doesn't want us to run away and turn our backs on and go, oh, I don't, I don't want any of that on me. He's saying, no, you need to get down in the dirt. Anytime there's a tragedy, you, you see something very unique in our culture happen. If we look all the way back to 9-11, it's a great example of it, that when the towers fell, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were turning around, running and screaming away from the problem. There was a peculiar group of people, a very small group of people that, that ran towards the screen. 
And they ran towards the fire. And they ran towards the buildings that were falling over. They ran towards the pain and towards the mess. And guys, that's got to be the church. That's got to be Fellowship Church. Not that we turn our backs and say, oh, that's messy, it's scary, and I don't want to get any of that icky on me. We've got to be the type of people that says, okay, they're hurting, they're a mess, they're broken, and we got to get in there. Just like Jesus got in there and he's saying, I'm going to get down in the dirt with you and I'm not going to accuse you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to hold you. I'm going to get you through this. That is the spirit of an advocate. That is the spirit of our Savior. So you know how this story ends? This story ends with Jesus looking at the woman and saying, um, uh, excuse me, woman, where are your accusers? As the woman looked around and said, no one's here to accuse me. No one condemns me. And Jesus smiles at her and says, neither do I. He then gives her a very powerful statement. He says, now go and sin no more. I think we get it backwards in church sometimes because we think if I can just stop sinning, then I can get right with God. If I, if I, if I just sin no more, then, then Jesus is going to accept me. He's saying, no, 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 no. I accept you. I forgive you. I don't accuse you. I love you. Now go and sin no more. Well, how in the world do we have the power? She had the power to do so because she just experienced grace. She just met Jesus, and now all of a sudden faith is erupting on the inside, and she has the power now to live the life she's always dreamed of, free from addiction, free from sin, free from problems, free from sexual immorality. She now can be who she's always wanted to be, and Jesus is saying, I've forgiven you, I've freed you, so you don't have to live that type of a horrible life anymore. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes, I want, to, I want to talk to those of us in this room that are sinners. We are messed up. We're dirty. And we, we're afraid because we know at any point someone could point the finger at us and accuse us and say, you know what? You deserve to die. We should condemn you. There's wrong in your life. I hope you know today that, that Jesus is here. He's waiting for you and he wants to accept you into his arms and forgive you of your sins and, 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 and give you the power to stop going back to the lifestyle that tends to hurt you over and over and over again. He's saying, I don't condemn you, now go and sin no more. But this all happened because this woman called Jesus Lord. This woman said, all right, you're not just another teacher, you're, you're my savior, you're my master. I'm going to make you the king of my life. I'm your first place in my life. And if you're first place in my life, I'm going to have the life you want me to have. So with no one looking around, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want to ask you, if that's you today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, with no one looking around, just my eyes, would you hold your hand up on the count of three? One, two, three. Hold your hand up so I can pray over you. Yeah, thank you for your hands. Thank you for that honesty. Thank you. Thank you. I think there's some more hands in this room that, that you feel God tugging at your heart right now and you're saying, you're saying, you know, you should raise your hand. You know that you need to make me the Lord and Savior of your life and you haven't done it yet. I'm going to count one more time because I feel the Holy Spirit tugging at some hearts in here. And I'm going to give you a chance one more time. One, two, three. Raise that hand. Hold it up. That's right. Praise God. Praise God. This is what I want to do. 
in this service. So I want to pray a prayer, and we're going to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, and we're going to ask him to become the Lord and Savior of our lives. And I want every person in the room to do this so that no one feels left out. Just repeat this prayer after me. So dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, I'm guilty, and I need forgiveness. So please forgive me of my sin. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for not accusing me. And thank you for loving me. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe you rose again. So today, I make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Guys, there was a lot of hands that just went up. So I want to encourage you. Go ahead, show us. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, hold your hand up. There was a lot of hands that just went up. I want to encourage you. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you right here. Praise God. Praise God. Before we leave, I want to pray for all of us that have rocks in our hands. Would you stand your feet with me? And we're going to pray before we go. Right now, in Jesus' name, God, we pray you'd forgive us for the times we pointed the finger and accused one another. God, we know it's only by your grace that we're forgiven, only by your love. So right now, in Jesus' name, we drop the rocks. We put them down, and we're going to stop trying to look for the sin in other people's lives. And when we do see it, we're going to pray. And we're going to get down in the dirt with them, and we're going to love them, and we're going to care for them, and we're going to speak the truth, but it's going to be full of grace, just seasoned with salt. So God, I pray that you would give us the opportunity. The opportunity to be people who don't just judge our city, but the opportunity to be people who love our city. So right now, as Fellowship Church, we make a declaration before you, and we pray that you would help us in that. And as we say, Grand Junction, where are your accusers? Not in this church. So say that with me. Grand Junction, where are your accusers? Everybody, not in this church. One more time. Not in this church. God, I love you so much, and I thank you so much for every person that's here. I pray that you would change us. Help us to look more like Jesus as we leave here. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give him a shout of praise before we go. He's good.